Chapter Nine of Whither Thou Goest by William McHugh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom White. Chapter Nine. It had been a very hot August day. The old world town of Fonterrabia had glowed in the torrid heat. With the sinking of the sun had come a sudden breath of comparative coolness. In a small room facing the sea in the obscure little café de Poncho there sat four people. They were respectively Zorilta, Jaime, Alvideo, two of the most trusted lieutenants of the great Contreras, Contreras who directed his worldwide campaign from the safe and sheltered precincts of Fitzjohn's Avenue, Hampstead, Andreas Moreno, journalist, trusted agent of the English Secret Service, ostensibly sworn anarchist, and lastly Violet Hargrave, now domiciled in Spain in the interest of the Brotherhood, in England a somewhat well-known member of the semi-smart set. Moreno, as we know, was the son of a purely Spanish father and an English mother. Violet Hargrave was not greatly given to confidences, but the pair had been thrown much together. In spite of their mixed nationality, Spain was, to a great extent, a foreign land to them. Violet had been born in Spain and lived there up to the age of ten, but her memories of the country were faint and fragmentary. Moreno had been born in England, brought up and educated there. He spoke Spanish perfectly since his father had taught him the language and conversed in it with him from childhood. In that father's company he had made some dozen trips to what was really his native country. He had visited every important town, Barcelona, Toledo, Seville, Granada, Segovia, not to mention Madrid. Still, they were both more English than foreign, and there was an unconscious sympathy between them arising from this fact. Moreno's heart ached for the familiar haunts of Fleet Street, for the restaurants where the odor of garlic was not always greatly in evidence, and Violet sighed for the elegant flat in Mount Street with its perfect appointments. She had grown to loathe this sun-baked Biscayan coast. Being thrown so much in each other's society, caution had been a little relaxed on the woman's side. Moreno had never for a moment relaxed his. Violet Hargrave was still an enigma to him. He was not prepared to trust her in the smallest degree. But in his peculiar position he could trust nobody. One day she had been very confidential. It had been after a good dinner, followed by one or two potent liqueurs. On such an occasion even the most cautious woman of the world may find her tongue loosened. She had confided to Moreno a considerable portion of her family history. Her father, a ne'er-do-well, a soldier of fortune, she frankly gave this description of her male parent, had fallen in love with and married her Spanish mother a beautiful young girl, a professional dancer, not, however, occupying a very high position in the profession. It peeped through in the narrative, told in a rather staccato fashion, that her father had lived chiefly on his wife's small earnings, that he did no regular work, but acted as her agent. When she was ten years of age her mother died, and her father was thrown on his own resources. They had come to London, James Wheeler, such was her father's name, had at once sought out a rich financier in business circles as Mr. Jackson. His real name was Juan Jacques. 
he was a Spaniard, and he had at one time been desperately in love with her mother. For the sake of that old affection he had befriended the derelict father and the helpless child. He had set Wheeler on his legs so far as it was possible to help such a weak and incapable creature. But Wheeler was addicted to drink and was cursed with a feeble constitution. In a few years the drink carried him off. Violet, at the age of eighteen, was left alone in the world. Her mother, no doubt, had relatives in Spain, but she knew nothing of them. Of her father's relations, if he had any, she had never heard him speak. Whatever the failings of the moneylender in certain directions, he behaved with rare generosity and tenderness to the daughter of his old sweetheart. He advanced money to secure her a good education. He did his best to secure for her eligible posts. Still, on the whole, she had experienced a rough time. She could do a little of everything fairly, but nothing very well. She had tried the concert hall, the stage, and been a failure on both. She had not even inherited her mother's talent for dancing. But poor old Jacques was always patient and kind. He kept her going with an allowance that might be called handsome. At the back of his mind he felt pretty sure that Violet would prove a winner in the end. She had been very seedy. Jacques had summoned her to his private room, thrust a hundred pounds worth of notes into her hand, and ordered her to take herself off to the most expensive hotel in Scarborough to pick up health and strength. They would map out together some fresh plan of campaign when she came back. At the expense hotel in Scarborough she met Jack Hargrave, a personable young fellow who seemed to have plenty of money and was of good family. At that time Violet was a very thrifty young woman. She learned expensive habits later on. She reckoned that she should stay at Scarborough for a fortnight and return with a handsome balance out of the hundred pounds. Then the kind Jacques, to whom she was genuinely grateful, would not have to put his hand in his pocket for some little time. She met Jack Hargrave, who was staying at the same hotel. He fell violently in love with her, with her blonde prettiness. At the end of the first week he proposed. Violet was attracted by him, perhaps a little bit in love. She accepted him on the spot and went off the next morning to London to consult Jacques, in whom she placed her full confidence. There was here a little break in the story, as told to Moreno. Evidently her guardian approved. She married Jack Hargrave, and they had taken the flat in Mount Street, of which she was still the tenant. Here Moreno had interrupted. You say that Jack Hargrave was well off. How did he make his money? Flats in Mount Street are not run on credit. Oh, don't you know? It was Jacques who put him into good things in the city, out of friendship for me. But one moment, pursued Moreno. He was well off when he met you. How is he making money when our good old friend Jacques had not appeared on the scene? Violet, under the influence of the liqueurs, was a little off her guard. Oh, don't be silly. Jack was a very expert bridge player. Moreno nodded. I think I understand. We won't go into details. Under his instructions you became a very expert bridge player, too. It used to be whispered that you were just a little bit too lucky. Violet Hargrave admitted that many rumors had been flying about and that the flat in Mount Street had become a little suspect. And how did you get into this had been Moreno's next question. Violet had been very frank. 
It was dear old Jacques who drew me into it. You know, I have told you how grateful I was to him, how indebted. When he asked me, could I refuse, after all the benefits he had showered upon me? Impossible, said Moreno, in his quiet, easy tones. He added, after a pause, I wonder if your heart is in it. She flashed at him a swift glance of interrogation. I wonder if yours is. Moreno smiled. They were then each suspecting the other on account of their mixed parentage. Absolutely, he answered in a tone of deep conviction. I am nine-tenths Spaniard, one-tenth Englishman. You are one-tenth Spaniard and nine-tenths Englishwoman. I very much doubt if your heart is in it. Violet spoke in a low, hard voice, and she also felt there was need of caution. I have lived a very hard life depending upon charity, generous charity, I admit, for many years. I think I do not love the present order of things. I am really an anarchist. I think I may truly say my heart is in it. Moreno accepted her statement. She was still an enigma to him. She had spoken of Jacques with a genuine sense of gratitude. She had alluded to her late husband in terms of sincere affection. The woman had her sentimental moments. Then he remembered that she was the daughter of a drunken and derelict father. This much she had told him. Her mother was a Spanish dancer of unknown origin. Out of this particular blend was it possible to fashion an honest woman? Moreno doubted it. He remembered the night in the flat at Mount Street when she had vindictively declared that Guy Rossett had to be got out of the way. He had looked at the still very pretty woman, her fair cheeks just a little flushed with the after-results of the good dinner. She had perhaps her good points, but was she not an absolute degenerate, daughter of the waspel father and the Spanish dancer? He had been very sympathetic through the recital. He had helped her on with an encouraging word or two in the pauses of her narrative, for at times she had evidently pulled herself up with the recollection that she was being too frank. But he had learned a good deal about Violet's past. He still had his suspicions. Perhaps another dinner or two might get more out of her. The four conspirators sat in the little room facing the sea. Violet Hargrave, by the way, was dressed in a peasant costume. Avedero spoke in his deep voice. I think for the present we will make Ponterabia our headquarters. It is a quiet little town, and for the moment not suspect. The deputy governor of Neva assented. They could do great things from this comparatively obscure quarter. Avedero spoke again. Now, first the question of Guy Rossett. Contreras and Lesue are agreed that he should be removed speedily. Moreno hastened to corroborate. He knew that Violet Hargrave was watching him narrowly. The sooner the better, he said heartily. He knows too much. A great deal too much, burst in Zorilta angrily. The question is, where did he get his information from? Some traitor, of course. Moreno glanced at Violet Hargrave. He had his suspicions of her, but not a muscle of her countenance moved. His suspicions of her then were not confirmed but Violet said nothing in reply to Zorilta's angry outburst. There came a diversion. Father Gonzalo passed the window of the small sitting-room. His hawk-like eye peered through the window. Dios cried Zorilta, jumping up. That accursed priest again! He rose about here like an evil spirit. Who is he, this priest? 
cried Moreno eagerly. He had seen the lean figure of the father passing the window and had noted the keen, inquisitive glance. Zorilta explained what he had learned from the intelligent fisherman Somoza. Father Gonzalo was a Jesuit, not attached to the church of Santa Gadea. He was suspected of being a spy in the pay of the government. Moreno rose. Shall I go and sample this gentleman? he said. I can play the role of the devout Catholic very well. Zorilta and Alvedero grinned. They were both nominal Catholics, but their religion did not trouble them very much. They were pleased with the enterprising spirit of their new recruit. Go, my friend, come back and report to us. Moreno, well pleased, strode out and soon overtook the priest who was walking leisurely. Good evening, father, he said pleasantly. He also added a few Spanish words which were a password. When he heard those magic words, the priest's lean ascetic face changed at once. You are one of us? he asked briefly. Of course, my name is Moreno. I am attached to the English Secret Service, and I am helping your government to beat the anarchists. Good, said Father Gonzalo. Those people I saw you with in the little sitting-room at the Concha. I know the two well, Zorilta and Elvadero. The woman I do not know. I take it they are all anarchists. You are joining up with them for your own purposes. Precisely, answered Moreno. Keep your eyes open, too. This is, at present, the headquarters of the conspiracy. My son, good night, said the wily Jesuit in his most paternal tones. We shall meet again. You have, of course, made a good excuse for leaving your friends and running after me. Moreno smiled. When I return I shall give the best report of you, a report that I trust will disarm suspicion. But it is as well to put you on your guard. You have a very keen enemy here, one Carlos Somoza, a fisherman. Conciliate him if you can. The Jesuit, dark-eyed, flashed. I know him, the dirty dog. I will be on my guard. I will go to Santa Gadea and pray for my sins. The unctuous priest stole away. Moreno watched his departure with a contemptuous smile. He did not seem a very valiant member of the church militant. Moreno joined his companions. He addressed them in his usual easy fashion. Couldn't get much out of him. I should say he was quite a harmless old chap, full of good works. He seemed very concerned that I should be drinking at a place like the Concha. He gave me some very good advice. I don't think he has brains enough to be a spy. The other two men laughed. Moreno had carried the affair off so well that they believed him implicitly. Then Alvadero spoke seriously. This affair of Guy Rossett was very pressing. He turned to Moreno and Violet Hargrave. I dare say you know that Lesue has delegated this matter to me as being on the spot. The two members of this conclave of four bowed. They had gathered this much before they left England. Yesterday, however, I had instructions from our great leader Contreras, pursued Alvadero. He uttered the name of his chief in accents of profound reverence. The affair of Guy Rossett has for the moment sunk into comparative insignificance. There is bigger game afoot. Ah, breathed Moreno eagerly. True to his histrionic instinct, he was playing the role of enthusiast very well. Violet Hargrave, who was never very enthusiastic, thought it well to imitate him and leaned forward as if eager to catch the next words from the great man's lips. Alvadero spoke slowly. As you know, in difficult times, 
we have to proceed with great caution. I cannot divulge all that Contreras has entrusted me with today. Tomorrow Valerie Dumont will be over here. We will meet at the same place and the same hour. He paused and then lifted his hands to the low roof of the mean sitting-room in which the four were assembled. "'The brain of that man is stupendous, gigantic,' he cried in tones of the deepest admiration. "'My friends, he has planned a great coup, and Valerie de Mon is going to carry it out. She is devoted, she is fearless, she will not blench. Tomorrow at this hour and this place I will take you into the secret. It is possible one of you may be called upon to assist.' A few minutes later the meeting broke up. There would be an exciting day tomorrow, thought Moreno, as he strolled away. End of chapter 9 Recording by Tom Weiss Tom's Audiobooks.com